With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The volume. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on? Don't answer. What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Greber and alongside me is Logan Camden and we are just about 24 hours into NBA free agency and good lord is there a bunch to talk about. So we're going to be breaking down all of the most significant moves so far today, but we have to start, Logan, with today's huge report that Damian Lillard has requested a trade out of Portland with Miami as his preferred destination and seemingly a strong front runner. We have been talking for a long time about why this split really was the clear best direction for Dame to go and for the Portland organization to go. So we can touch on that angle in a bit, but let's just start with looking specifically at Miami here. How do you feel about that fit for Dame and how much would that elevate the heat coming off of a finals run? Yeah, I not only think that it's ideal that the Blazers and Lillards part ways, Carson, I think Miami is the ideal trade destination uh, mm-hmm. for a guy like Damian Lillard. And what it does for Miami is it makes them legitimate contenders again out east. In my opinion, regardless of what they do with their bench, you think about their shortcomings in the playoffs and what let them down. It's late game offense. It's offense and stretches in general. And it's because... One, I think we do have to acknowledge, right, the Jimmy Butler ankle injury as we keep going through the playoffs. I think it, I don't think it fully healed. I think they're relying on an injured Jimmy Butler, but you're also relying on role players who are very limited in terms of the shots that they create. That's mostly pick and roll into pull-up jump shots uh, out of the mid-range from behind the arc. It's pin downs for shooters uh, coming across, and we saw that it worked for a little bit there, right? Kyle Lowry, Max Strews, Duncan Robinson, uh, Gabe Vincent, they could get hot enough to where it didn't matter. Damian Lillard eradicates all of that, Carson. You don't need to rely on role players getting into pull-up jump shots anymore, right? You're getting a guy who is the complete offensive package. This is a guy who, last season, I had an offensive rating of 120.3 uh, when he was on the floor. Portland did, excuse me. And last season, uh, I did a video a while back 
Lillard is just one of seven guys to average 32 points and seven assists in a single season alongside guys like uh, Tiny Nate Archibald, Luka Doncic, Michael Jordan. Like, what Dame can do on the court is still in rarefied air, and he still possesses a very special skill set. He's a 94th percentile pick-and-roll ball handler. He's a 91st percentile isolation scorer. Like, in these big offensive moments, you have another guy that you can rely on where it's not just squarely on Jimmy Butler's shoulders. You also have uh, you have a guy that's just, uh, he's not going to let your offense go through those lulls. And to me, you can have your questions about whether Damian Lillard is a one, right? You can have your questions about whether Jimmy Butler is a one. I think with their combined powers with Bam Adebayo, if you can retain him, because, I mean, they're not letting Bam Adebayo go, I don't really think it matters if, if you don't consider either of them to be a natural one. I think they make up for each other's shortcomings, and I think that, I don't know, Damian Lillard's complete offensive skill set combined with Jimmy's two-way value, uh, it makes them legit contenders uh, regardless of whatever they do with their bench. And if I am Miami, I am paying whatever asking price Portland uh, suggests regardless mm-hmm. of giving up BAM. Like, this is something that I think Miami well, has that's... to put... That's all not their chips happen. into. They have to give up Bam to get this thing done. No, I'm saying there's no chance they give up Bam. Oh, yeah. No, you have to retain Bam, man. He's just so valuable. I mean, he's I mean, a top five center in the league today, and what he can do defensively is is unmatched by many. So I'm answering any asking price that Portland throws out there, uh, save Bam. He's untouchable to me. Well, I don't think that there's even been a conversation about that. It seems pretty clear that the package is going to be built around Hero. The 28 and 20, 31st, which are the first ones that Miami can trade outright because of the Stepien rule. And then really the remaining first round pick swaps that they can offer. And then a remaining wing contract or two. Maybe you could throw in Lowry and then take back the Nurkic contract to make all that money work. Bottom line, Bam is not going to be involved in this deal. So I think the fit is great. And to touch on what you were saying about, well, is Jimmy a clear one on a title kind of team? Or asking those same questions about Dame. The reality is that everybody on Miami was just having to punch above their weight offensively last year for them to make the run that they did. Like, Jimmy didn't just have to be a top 12 player. He had to be a great number one. When you're talking about them beating the Bucs and the Celtics. In their wins over those teams, Jimmy was almost 34 points per game on 52% from the field, 42% from three. I love Jimmy. That is an unsustainable standard. Bam had to be a consistent high-level scoring number two, which we know is just not the nature of his game. He is going to, at times, struggle in terms of consistent aggression, in terms of that touch shot making. He is not the most effortless creating for himself. That's not an ideal standard to have to uphold. And the entire supporting cast had to be utterly ridiculous in terms of shooting. In their wins over Milwaukee and Boston, they were 47% from deep. So once they couldn't uphold those really unattainable standards against a locked-in Boston team defensively in the home stretch of the conference finals, against a Denver team that was defending at a high level, they regressed 
to a team that was really struggling offensively. Last nine games of the playoffs, they had an offensive rating of under 108, which is the equivalent to 13th out of 16 teams in the playoff field. And we saw that they didn't have the consistent high-level rim pressures, especially with Jimmy dealing with that ankle, but really struggled to impose themselves there. And when their shooters are off, and when teams are really dialed in on the off-ball stuff and the delay actions, the pin-downs, the handoffs, and when Jimmy isn't having this sort of superhuman pull-up jump shooting stretch, which, although he always seems to find another gear in the playoffs, isn't characteristic of his game, and when Bam isn't making all of his touch shots, they were really prone to falling into some pretty devastating offensive lapses. So you need, if you want to win a title, a guard who can get you an automatic good look out of pick and roll, who can pressure the rim, but who can also devastate you with pull-up jump shooting, who can eat up free throws and create easy offense there, who can create quality looks as a playmaker for both rollers and shooters, and Dame is all of that. You mentioned some of the numbers. He is just one of the absolute best offensive engines in basketball. He created over 51 points per game of total offense last year. That is number two in the league only to Luka. So on ball as a pick and roll creator, as an isolation bucket getter, he is absolutely top tier. And he's also a guy who can play off of Jimmy. And we've seen him start to share ball handling duties with Anthony Simons in years past with CJ McCollum, obviously. He took almost four catch-and-shoot threes a game this year, so he does have some real off-ball value there as one of the best pure shooters that the game has ever seen. So immediately, you're going from a team that was the number 25 regular season offense and that ended up being an average playoff offense in spite of this run to the finals because it was so predicated on unbelievable Jimmy and unbelievable shooting from the supporting cast that they just couldn't sustain. Dame will make you a top 10 regular season offense and he will help your offense scale better to that playoff stage because you have a consistent number one option to turn to along with now one of the best number twos in the league in Jimmy Butler. You can debate who's the better player overall between Jimmy and Dame, but I think Dame is clearly the better offensive engine. So the losses of Gabe Vincent and Max Struess are bummers. Obviously, those guys were able to demand some actual money on the open market. But I still think you're going to be looking at a combination of wings for this team that is respectable. Now, I don't know exactly who they're going to retain. You would think Caleb Martin and Haywood Highsmith will definitely be back. Duncan Robinson, Jaime Jaquez, maybe not. But if they have three of those four guys back, there's lots of shooting there. There's lots of toughness. There's lots of competitive instincts, high IQ. And so that's just not a bad wing core. It's not like your depth is decimated, especially with how much Miami just maximizes their talent. And Lowry as a backup point guard is a solid option. So I look up and down at this team and sure, Boston still has a better roster on paper. But if Miami does this, they unequivocally solve their biggest issue, which was consistent high-level offensive creation. And... If they do that with how consistently they excel in terms of coaching, in terms of execution, in terms of two-way effort with the shooting the supporting cast still has, they're going to make a legitimate case to be the favorite out East, which coming off of last year, as impressive as that run was, there was just no chance with that talent level I could confidently say, yeah, this team is going to make a deep run like that 
because there were too many outlier things that went in their way. This legitimizes them as a top-tier contender and would be a home run, especially when you consider that, sure, giving up Tyler Hero is unfortunate, it's painful, but I don't view him as ever turning into like a top 25 player in the league kind of guy. Dame is concretely a top 15 player right now, maybe a top 12 player. You go out there, you get that guy, and you make the title push. Yeah, and uh, I think that Miami definitely needs to get some more wing talent. Like, I'd like a little more shooting. I'd like a little more depth. Like, I don't like those being your only guys out there. Uh, I will say good for Struess, good for Vincent going out and getting their bags. I don't know if Struess has officially been signed yet. Uh, just because Woj and Shams uh, haven't reported anything. I've heard it from other outlets. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't even trust that, you know, I don't really trust anything that doesn't come out of the words of Woj or uh, no, Shams' I'm mouth. I'm pretty sure the four-year, $63 million deal with the Cavs is official. Okay. I think Woj has reported that. Okay, finally. Yesterday, I know it was weird because they hadn't reported it, but I had heard it from other people, um, insider stuff. Good for those guys getting their bags after a good playoff run. I'm always happy to see guys get paid like that. I think they need a few more wings. I don't know if they'll bring them up through development. Like you said, I trust Miami's track record. Uh, I, I just think they need to add a little more depth out there. But no, they're fully legit contenders regardless of what they do. This is a team that could legitimately be top 10 to top 5 on offense and top 10 to top 5 on defense. That's what you need. And uh, I trust Miami to always turn it up during the playoffs. But yeah, the biggest thing is that Dame can reliably always go out and get a good look. He can always go out and get downhill and get to the rack and create shots for his teammates. But he's also one of the best tough shot makers in basketball. Last season shot uh, step backs at a 37% or excuse me, shot pull-ups at a 37% clip. He shot step backs at a 48% clip and shot fadeaways at over a 50% clip. Like Dame is just a nasty, nasty bucket, man. And that's what you need. Like that is the one thing that Portland has missed. And you look at teams, that's what has made Miami's runs so improbable, Carson. You look at the history of great teams in the playoffs, and they always have that great offensive engine. Uh, but normally, traditionally, from the perimeter is where they initiate from, right? And this is no disrespect to Jimmy Butler, because we have seen Jimmy elevate his game to that top 10, top 5 level consistently. But it's just remarkable that they've been able to do that without a you know, all-encompassing great engine, right? The Currys, the Jokic's. Miami really has not had that in any of their playoff runs. They've had Jimmy elevate himself, but it's just not consistent enough. I mean, they would really have uh, one of the best offensive players in basketball. I still think that Dame is in that conversation for top 10, for maybe top five. I still think Dame is at that level. So, no, I don't think Miami right now would be my favorite. I still think I would favor Boston Carson, but... Considering where we thought they were going to be after this offseason, you know, kind of in the same boat, you lose two of your best wings and you just have to retool the bench. Uh, this is the best case scenario for them, and they are fully legitimate title contenders. And you have three of the top 25 players in basketball under control for at least the next couple years. They would be in a really, really good position. And I do think, sure, you would like to add some more wing depth I also think we saw size present something of an issue for Miami. They are very small. We'll see if they bring back Kevin Love. They did just bring in Thomas Bryant, who is a fine option in terms of a rotational big. Like, he's an upgrade from what they have had. They didn't really have another five. A big body, a guy who can space the floor, bring some athleticism as a finisher. 
So they are seemingly doing some refining around the edges there too, but this would be a home run. It would immediately make them, to me, a top-tier contender. Let's look at this from Portland's side. What are they doing directionally this coming on the heels of the massive Jeremy Grant deal? How do you feel about this for them? Who knows? I, who knows, man? I don't really understand. The Jeremy Grant deal to me uh, indicated that Portland was reloading, that they were getting ready to run this thing back one more season with Dame. Mm. Uh, I hate that contract, if I'm being honest with you. I think that was the worst contract that we saw get uh, dealt out on the first day of free agency. Look, man, I like Jeremy Grant uh, defensively as a spot-up shooter. I think he's grown as a finisher, as a rim pressure, as a ball handler. But damn, that's a lot of money for, mm-hmm. I mean, a role player. Like, I'm not going to dress it up, man. Uh, I don't know. And I think this is something that teams need to take a really hard look at themselves with their superstars if they're going to part ways. Like, I don't know, Carson. I just feel like if the Trailblazers had done this a year ago or done this two years ago or just pulled the trigger faster, I feel like you're getting more value. I'm glad that they're going to do this deal with Miami, as it's reported, if that goes through. I think they're getting a good player like Tyler Hero that has value down the line because he's so young, because he's so talented. He's a guy that you can move you know, for another asset because they are going to be really guard-heavy if they make this move for Hero. But if, I feel like if they had done this deal in offseason or two offseasons ago, they're just getting straight up more value. Uh, yeah. The cap situation, I feel like, made this hard for teams to deal and then also like you've been confusing us this entire time I don't know why you put it on Dame's shoulders instead of just coming out and saying hey we're gonna move him this offseason hey Dame we're gonna move you we're gonna have an open market we want to take the best deal possible or we're gonna work with you throughout this whole process I don't feel like Portland handled this in the best way I feel like they could have handled this better to get a better offer if that was moving him in the past or just being straight up uh, from the start of free agency and going hey we're gonna move Dame I don't think they handled this well, but at this point, you're just going to take whatever value you can get because you don't want to lose him and you want to for nothing, and then you want to make him happy and send him to a legit contender where he can go out and win a ring. Uh, like I said, it's not the best value you could have gotten, but it's I think it's I think it's good value, and you want to get off him for a really good asset. And I think Tyler Hero is that. So I don't think they handled this in the best way, but this is good enough. Like, thank you for finally coming to your senses, Portland. It took you long enough. Well, it's really not up to Portland, I don't think. It's up to Dame finally saying, hey, I want out. And they have been in a really difficult predicament because for about eight years now, they've been in this situation where they do not have real flexibility in terms of roster construction. For so long, it was the core built around Dame and CJ, but they couldn't put together a competent front court alongside those guys. You think about the one year that they were able to actually turn out a high-level defense with Al Camino and Mo Harkless, and they actually make a decent run to the conference finals, but those guys so often offensively just were not cutting it and they could never put together the complete roster, obviously. They could never turn CJ into an actual star who could elevate this team. But all the while, they have like a top 10 kind of player in the league, one of the best in their franchise's history, who says, hey, I want to be here. I want you to build around me. And so 
I understand why they wouldn't want to give up on that. But at the same time, the writing has been on the wall for so long. Portland has never been legitimately knocking on the door. Of course, they should have traded Dame sooner. This is not going to be the best value that they could have gotten for him. This isn't even going to be the best value that theoretically a team could put together this year. Like if Philly were to put Tyrese Maxey on the table, that alone would make this a better deal to me. But Dame apparently doesn't want to go there, and it's just going to be a matter of him controlling the dynamics here, especially given everything that he's done for Portland. I do think he'll end up where he wants, that being Miami. So, of course, it's brutal to think about the fact that you had such a great player for so much of his prime, and really nothing of significance came out of it. But that's been inevitable for years now. In terms of the Jeremy Grant contract, I really like Jeremy Grant. I don't want to just distill him down to being a role player. Like he's a 20 point per game scorer who can attack mismatches, who shot 40% from deep on high volume. And I do think what we have to consider here is, and by the way, this is important for every single contract we're looking at in free agency. The cap is jumping $13 million just from this year to next. So by the end of this contract, the cap could be 30% higher than what it is right now, which turns our perception of this $32 million a year type deal. Effectively, based on today's cap, it'd be more like, you know, in the low mid-20s. That being said, it's just a really long-term investment of this size because now that Dame is gone and Maybe the vision was to say, hey, Dame, we are all in. We're bringing back Jeremy Grant. Huzzah, look at us trying to contend. That's one angle. Now that Dame is gone, the vision has to be to eventually deal Jeremy Grant to a team that's trying to contend as a sort of, hey, let's put you over the top type deal. But I just see far more ways over the course of five years that this goes south. If it's just holding on to Grant for longer than you want, if it's his value diminishing, like he very well might not be in his peak by the end of this. He'll be 34 years old. And I don't see him improving to the point where this is ever like a, wow, great value deal. And teams aren't going to want to take on probably three years of Jeremy Grant at a high cap hit. And that's two years down the line. So I just don't know when this contract becomes like a really movable intriguing trade piece so as they are pivoting towards a rebuild of course they have to dedicate their cap to veteran guys Jeremy Grant is a good basketball player but I don't like this contract I agree with you I do think it's one of the worst of free agency so they're not maximizing the return from Dame it's a disappointing end to an era but Logan praise be they are doing the right thing they are not trying to straddle the line any further they are committing to an incredibly talented young core with Scoot Henderson and Ant Simons and Shaden Sharp and hopefully Tyler Hero and some draft assets again Chris Murray I really liked as their first round draft pick so all in all this is the right thing for both sides and we'll see when this gets done because at this point it's inevitable Dame is going to get moved and it certainly looks like he's going to go to Miami some other very big news of day one of free agency Draymond Green going back to the Warriors on a four-year 100 million dollar deal Logan what's your take on this yeah uh, the Warriors needed to do this to stay legitimate as contenders out west your defense would just take much too big of a hit mm-hmm. uh, and 
with their combined powers, yeah, man, the Warriors are uh, coming back to reload it. I, I don't think this is a bad overpay either. I think Draymond, I think, you know, people may have issues, again, with Draymond's offensive games, or sometimes, you know, he can be a little more passive, uh, and it makes you be mad when you see games like we saw in the playoffs where he gets physical and he gets aggressive. And again, I always think that is the best Draymond Green when he is looking to score regardless of if shots are falling or not. It makes the defense respect you. You're just looking for your shots. That's when you're at your best and when the offense opens up. So I think you can have your issues with Draymond offensively or whatever. But because of how he plays within the flow of uh, this team, because of how well everybody plays together, I don't ever really see this being a you know, poor contract. I think $25 million a year is a pretty good value for a guy like Draymond Green, who is still one of the best defenders on the planet. And I think through this contract is still going to be one of the most intelligent and best defenders on the planet. And I don't know, man. I don't know about you, Carson. I just wouldn't feel the same about this Warriors team without Draymond Green. It just doesn't really feel like the Warriors. Like, as much as Steph Curry is the leader of this team, Draymond, you know, I don't know... You, I was going to compare him to Oregon's. If you want to call Steph the heart, like Draymond's the soul or something like that, you know what I mean? Or if Steph's whatever, Draymond's the heart and soul. Like, I just wouldn't feel the same about the Warriors if they didn't bring Draymond back. He just brings a certain energy, a grit, a tenacity, a, you know, a dog. That, that I just wouldn't feel the same about Golden State if they didn't bring him back. So I think this is actually really good value. They had to do this to stay legitimate as contenders on the court. And just mentality-wise, like I said, man, Draymond just brings that kind of uh, feel to this team where I just wouldn't, I wouldn't think that Golden State is legit without him for basketball reasons and for other reasons. So I think this is a good contract price, and I think Golden State everything has to go right with Chris Paul off the bench. I think that has to go right. I think they have to get legitimately good role players down this roster again. But uh, the Warriors definitely have a chance at running it back and having a shot uh, at a title next season. This absolutely had to get done. The Warriors title window to me would legitimately be closed if they didn't bring back Draymond. It's non-negotiable. You cannot overstate his value on the defensive end of the floor. He was my defensive player of the year pick because of how single-handedly he transforms them on that end. Last year, they had the number one defense in the league in minutes that he played. They had the equivalent to the number 29 defense without him. So without that defensive foundation, you're not getting into these contending conversations. And... I mean, he is arguably their best defender in every phase. Like, Wiggins is phenomenal on the perimeter. Obviously, he was not available for long stretches the last year, and Draymond held it down there. But his versatility is historically great. He was a 70th percentile pick-and-roll ball handler defender last year, an 88th percentile spot-up defender, a 70th percentile post-up defender, an 81st percentile pick-and-roll roll man defender, and an 83rd percentile isolation defender. That is just unrivaled. And particularly in a West where the big dog contenders are big, you need size to win this West when you're looking at the front court that Denver has with MPJ and Aaron Gordon and obviously Nikola Jokic being the biggest problem in the entire league right now. What LA has with the strength and the size of AD and LeBron and even Rui Hachimura coming back. You just cannot afford to lose Draymond's interior defense, his value, making those guys work, taking on the best big on the floor, competing on the glass. Like, 
there's just no chance that they can survive without that. And by the way, I still think they need to try to do more. They're very limited in terms of how they can add to this front court. There's talk about Dario Saric, which is okay. It's not really what I'm looking for as a needle mover here. They're just shallow there in terms of being really reliant on Looney and Draymond and then having a smaller backcourt, especially bringing in CP3. But again, without Draymond, you are completely exiting those conversations. And I do think that for right now, this is really good value. Draymond, when he's 37, it probably won't be. But I am just a believer that by the time he's 37 and Steph's 39 and Clay, if he's still around is 37, like the window's probably just over and you just kind of have to live with that. I don't know. Primes are going longer than ever before. I just don't think it's likely that the Warriors four years from now are in a good position no matter what, but you go all in on this window, the one that got you a title in 2022 and Draymond is absolutely essential to that. I just don't think you can try to like save pennies on the margins and lose essential pieces when you are all in on the home stretch of the prime of an all-time great player. So I think it's great to see Draymond back. I think he is the perfect fit in Golden State. And I think this is a really mutually beneficial. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. 
And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Deal. The Dallas Mavericks, Logan, were also making some moves, bringing back Kyrie Irving for three years, $126 million. They also brought in Seth Curry for two years, $8 million. What's your reaction to them bringing back Kyrie on this deal? Uh, well... The good news here is you don't have to worry about offense here uh, with this tandem. Uh, when Kyrie joined, uh, we had 26 games together, right? Uh, they had an offensive rating of 117.3. That was ninth best in the league over that stretch after they traded for Kyrie. Uh, the bad news is they went 8-18 eight and 18 in that stretch, and they had a defensive rating of 119. So mm-hmm. the bad news is you have to find enough competent defensive pieces to go behind Luka and Kyrie. You don't have to worry about offense. And I don't – I know a lot of people, for some reason, we attribute results. It's like uh, we attribute results to how we think about how players work together, right? And it's like how we think about quarterback greatness uh, greatness with just wins, right? And it's it's not the right logic. Luka and Kyrie work really well together. Kyrie is a really good off-ball weapon alongside Luka. Kyrie's just, I honestly think Kyrie could fit offensively anywhere. He's just a bucket getter, right? So on the court, uh, I think the Mavs are in a good spot. If everybody can stay healthy, your offense is shored up. You've got two of the most dynamic scoring guards in all of basketball, and you've got one of the best offensive talents we've ever seen in Luka Doncic. Defensively, if you can be average, you can be competitive out West. I mean that. It's kind of the same formula that the Phoenix Suns are trying to create. Mm-hmm. The issue here is, is you have banked in on Kyrie Irving. <laughs> that is something that I do not like doing. I don't know about you, Carson. It's like you see James Harden, right? James Harden asked for another trade right after. I think I think Joel Embiid is the perfect partner alongside a guy like James Harden. Mm-hmm. I think he's the best player that, uh, save Kevin Durant that Harden's ever going to play with, right? And I think when you're talking about fit-wise, I think Harden and Embiid are like two puzzle pieces that just go really well together. I think that they really maximize each other. So to me, it's weird that he's asking out again, but that's what James Harden likes to do, right? What does Kyrie Irving like to do? We've seen a long track record of drama, of asking out, of trade requests. He's just erratic. And so That's the downside of banking on Kyrie. It's none of the basketball reasons. The basketball reasons you can make up for. You can find a guy that makes up for his defensive deficiencies. Can you make up for the locker room presence that Kyrie is? Can you make up for the off-court drama that Kyrie brings and the potential implications that all of that drama brings with it? What are those implications? That's Luka eventually getting tired of the Mavericks and potentially asking out. That being said, it's not like the Mavericks really had a whole lot of options here, Carson. They had to bring back uh, Kyrie Irving after all the assets that you gave up to go out and get him. But again, uh, the Mavericks (laughs) made this bed, Carson, and they have to lay in it. They chose to put their chips in on Kyrie Irving, and uh, you got to let your hand ride. Either you're going to make some money at this table or you're going to go bust. You know, we're going to see which way this goes. Um no, I don't like banking on Kyrie Irving, but it's not like the Dallas Mavericks had a whole lot of choices uh, to make in this decision. They had to pay the man. They had to go in on this, and now uh, they've got to make the moves around this uh, to to go out and make the best, most competitive team possible. Yeah, I don't really think that there's a ton of room to criticize the Mavs for their 
decision to retain Kyrie because that was absolutely essential. Like uh, the genesis of any opinion that you have about this is the trade where you're giving up assets and you are committing to him. But once you committed those assets, you weren't going to go out and just replace Kyrie with some better option. Like you are in, as you've said, and they do need him back. They need a dynamic second creator. And sure, is it an overpay considering just how few teams have real cap this offseason and how few of those teams would want Kyrie? Probably. But it's three years. You need him if you want to build a contending roster as just given the current position that you're in. And uh, I don't know that you really want to go out there and inflame relations with Kyrie and push him to the brink because he's an insane man and is liable to do anything or be pissed off by anything. He was apparently talking with the Phoenix Suns two days ago, for God's sake. So I think that this was just inevitable. And I do want to just emphasize the basketball brilliance of Kyrie Irving. Like he is a highly efficient 27 point per game score, 95th percentile isolation score, 85th percentile pick and roll score, 38% on catch and shoot threes is a guy who can play off of Luca very well, who can attack quickly in isolation, who can thrive in that off ball role, but who also can command stretches of the game and create really high level offense. When Luca is off the floor, like offensively, I do think it's a great fit. Now Luca has, up to this point, generally been able to generate top 10 offenses without other legit star creation alongside him. Just by having good shooting, by having capable role men who can finish around the rim, he is in such a high volume role and is so consistently able to generate quality shots out of pick and roll that he can do that. But I do think if you're looking at a run all the way, Teams don't win with one great offensive player. You need to have really good supporting pieces, other highly capable shot creators, and Kyrie is that guy. Of course, the pain with all this is them letting Jalen Brunson walk when you consider that they would have had much better value. They wouldn't have to have the volatility, the availability concerns of Kyrie. They wouldn't have had to give up the assets like Dorian Finney-Smith and a pick and all that. That will forever, I think, plague this Mavericks team if things go wrong with Luka and he ends up asking out because they were able to make a conference finals run with Brunson in that role and just with really solid defense and shooting alongside them. But again, that's in the past. They can't operate within that reality anymore. So they did have to bring back Kyrie. I think the Curry signing is a good one. That's a deadly shooting weapon on great value. He doesn't really solve any of their big issues when you're talking about wanting two-way guys in the front court, but he's a quality rotation piece, a good option to have. And overall, I do feel better about the Mavs, and I have liked their offseason. Going into next year with a wing front court combination defensively of Josh Green and Olivier Maxence Prosper and Maxi Kleba, I feel better about that. I still think they have big issues in terms of point of attack. The backcourt is going to get exploited, but that's respectable. And they did add two big options when that was a dire need of theirs last year with Rashawn Holmes and Derek Lively. I do, though, want to make sure that we don't just dismiss the Christian Wood loss because I've almost found myself doing that even as the world's biggest Christian Wood fan because it's felt so inevitable for months. It became clear, okay, this is just not going to happen. 
And yeah, maybe he wasn't like maximizing the value of a winning center because of his defensive limitations, but also he was a perfect fit offensively at the five. 93rd percentile roll man, 65th percentile post-up scorer, having a great athlete who can shoot the hell out of it, who can put the ball on the floor, awesome pick and roll compliment, but a guy who can actually get his own shot too. Like, maybe that's not the most important skill set in terms of winning, and maybe the Mavs will have a really good offense no matter what. I do think that that's true, but he was great at his job, and now you're walking into a situation where it's rookie Derek Lively who has these great physical tools, 7-1 with a 7-7 wingspan, tons of defensive upside, really impressive shot blocking prospect, but is first of all a rookie, is not the most sound positionally defensively right now, I think needs to be more consistently engaged and disciplined, was foul prone, so yeah, he's filling a need, but you're not just going to walk into him being like, I don't think a very good defensive center. He'll be able to finish lobs from Luka. Great. And Rashawn Holmes is a skilled offensive center, but again, just like a rotation caliber guy. So I don't know. I think there's definitely been praise for them making these strides with their front court, but they are also losing their best front court player, even if he wasn't doing the things that are most important to this team winning. So I think they're better. I think they could win 50 games. I think they needed to bring Kyrie back. I still don't view them as a contending roster, though. I need to see more from this defensive front court. And I need to see that there are real high-impact role players on this roster beyond just Luka and Kyrie to really feel good about them. Another team that has been making some big moves out west, Logan, The LA Lakers have made a slew of signings, including just a couple minutes ago, bringing back Austin Reeves on a four-year $56 million deal, which is unbelievable value, in my opinion. They also add Gabe Vincent for three years, $33 million, add Torian Prince on a one-year deal, Cam Reddish on a two-year deal. They re-signed Rui Hachimura for three years, $51 million, and D'Lo for two years, $37 million. Also bring in Jackson Hayes for some big depth. What's your take on this free agency from the Lakers? Yeah, I mean, I think this has been uh, Rob Palenka masterclass, dude. I think he has killed this. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, best possible scenario. Uh, I, I love bringing back all these guys, but especially the guard depth with Reeves, Russell, and Vincent. Uh, and you have Hood Shafino. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be in the rotation, too. You know, I don't know if you G-League him or what the move is, but, I mean, you have options now to explore. But that's the big thing to me is, uh, you know, if D'Angelo Russell is struggling, well, okay, man, we'll go into Gabe Vincent. We'll see if he can knock down some pull-up jumpers. Oh, is, you know, is Reeves struggling? Oh, we'll throw Russell out there. Like, you've got uh, you've got options. It's not really going to be crazily different than what they did with Schroeder, right? And I don't like losing Schroeder. Uh, I think he's going to be really good for Toronto just in terms of, being a really fast guy that can abuse slower point-of-attack defenders, and I don't really think they have a guy... I don't think they have a guard threat that can get downhill with that kind of ease, right? Russell and Reeves is, and Vincent's, all of their tendencies are to go into pull-up jumpers. So that's the one thing I don't like, but they've they've got good options. And then on the wings, had to bring Hachimura back. He was imperative. Uh, he had four 20-point outings during the playoff run, six 15-point outings. And it's crazy to me. He is consistently, he's only been in the playoffs twice, but he stepped up uh, in terms of efficiency uh, in a five-game stretch with the Wizards back when they made the playoffs. And then uh, he really stepped up big with uh, L.A. last season. Over 50% from the field, over 40% from deep. 
He's a really good defensive weapon. And Carson, I really like the size that the Lakers have too. That's one of the big things to me that they still have an advantage over. Every other team out West, I'd say save Denver just because I think Jokic is you know, a tank. Aaron Gordon's a big dude too. MPJ's mm-hmm. a big guy. Uh, but they still have that size advantage over all these guys. Torian Prince is a big wing. Hachimura is a big wing. Um, Vando's a free agent too, right? They have Vando. Okay, well, you've got Vando back. Vando's another big dude. LeBron's a big dude. AD's a big guy. Jackson Hayes is a, you know, decently sized guy. So, I mean, you're getting, you still got uh, size too in the front court. Um, but yeah, I don't really think they overpaid for any of these guys. I think this is good value. You retain two guys who are, or three guys who are important to your playoff run last season. Yeah, I think they did everything they could uh, to to build a really good bench. I don't think that they're, I don't think they're my title favorites, but I'm not going to count them out, man. I think LA is a hundred percent in contention next season. Again, a lot of stuff has to go right. I think they have to reach a defensive ceiling as one of the best defensive teams in all of basketball. I think LeBron has to be great again next season. I think that is uh, another box that has to be checked. I think AD has to be the best player on this team and has to reach that level offensively consistently enough to be legitimate contenders. And I think all of these guys have to do their jobs at an exceptional level. But it's not out, out of the realm of possibility. If all those boxes get checked, I can see this team you know, being in the Western Conference Finals or making another yeah. deep playoff run again next year. I think that they are clearly one of the two best teams out West. I still think that Denver is better because they are retaining their starting five and there's just an effortlessness with them offensively that nobody in the league can match right now. But I absolutely believe that LA's Western Conference Finals run was legit. I understand that some people have tried to diminish it, but if you didn't watch those series against both the Grizzlies and Warriors and think that they were convincingly better with two guys who were capable of playing like top 10 players and what was clearly one of the best defensive units, if not the best defense in the playoff field with their all around size, with their secondary creation. I thought that team was really good. And now I just think that they're even better. Like Reeves was essential to bring back. I would have been cool with them matching the max offer for him which was four years 98 million so to get him on just over half of that that is one of the best value contracts in the league man Reeves was a 90 something percentile pick and roll ball handler he has incredible poise and pace and is so good manipulating defenders can really kill you from the mid-range and from floater range is a great catch and shooter a high level playmaker like That dude is just a winning, versatile basketball player and was consistently the third best guy on a team that just made a conference finals run. That is an incredible signing. D'Lo, I think, was very bad against Denver, obviously, and left a sour taste in a ton of people's mouth, and D'Lo can do that because he's not going to do a bunch of the little things that help you win games, and a lot of the times he is going to run too much pick and roll and take too many tough mid-range pull-ups but if you can retain the option to have him well that's a win to me because his ball handling his shot making is still valuable to alleviate the load on LeBron to give them another option and we saw that in the first two series this past year where in their wins he was like a reasonably efficient 18 and 6 kind of guy he's volatile but when you bring in Gabe Vincent 
Now you have another capable ball handler and pick and roll creator at good value who maybe doesn't quite have Delo's upside night to night, but is a higher floor guy who is going to fit in better, who is a high IQ competitive defender, good decision maker, can shoot the ball really well. That's a big win. Rui is not going to be quite as good as he was in these playoffs. I wouldn't expect him to shoot 49% from deep like he did. But no matter what, is a capable spot-up guy, a really good mid-range shooter, a big physical wing who can abuse mismatches, a plus defender in the front court who is going to bring that size and is just a good basketball player. Totally makes sense to bring back. And then you look at some of the less shiny additions. Torian Prince, you're adding a wing who has been over 38% from deep over the last three seasons for a team that was 25th in three-point percentage in the regular season, 11th of 16 teams in the playoffs. That kind of spot-up value is a big win to add. The other two, Jackson Hayes, I just think having cut Mobamba, they need somebody who can play minutes at the five. I don't really like Jackson Hayes. I think you get solid defensive value. He's big, right? He's playable. It doesn't really move the needle to me. And Cam Reddish, I want to believe in so badly. I've loved the flashes from Cam Reddish over the years. It's just going to be a question of how consistent is his shooting. And the answer to that has not really been resounding throughout his career. He's 32% from deep overall. How consistent is his defensive effort and production? And maybe that'll be a consistent plus in LA. But With a limited wing market, I think that's a solid acquisition too. So all around, I think they bolstered their depth, which was already a strength last year when we saw all the different lineup combinations they could go with, Vando excelling in certain lineups and matchups. And then the backcourt combination of Reeves and D'Lo coming in huge at times, Rui coming in huge in certain matchups, to now add more ball handling, more shooting on the wings, at least a potential rotational big and retain all your key pieces. I think that if LA gets the best version of LeBron and AD, they could win the title next year. Like those guys have to be consistently great in a way that AD was not in the Western conference finals and LeBron picked his spots throughout the playoff run in its entirety. He would need to reach another gear. He, we saw could get there in game four and in game six against golden state needs to consistently weaponize his athletic advantages, his playmaking value, needs to shoot the ball consistently better than he did this year. But if all those things come together, the Lakers could win the title. And I think that they are entering next year as one of the five best teams to me. Okay, let's go rapid fire through the rest here. Bruce Brown to the Pacers on a two-year $45 million deal. What's your take on that, Logan? Yeah, I was talking to some of my friends at work about this, and this was like their uh, most egregious contract that got handed out in free agency. Uh, they anticipated him being around, you know, 15, 14 mil. I don't really think it's that big of a gross overpay. I also think at two years, you're not really taking that big of a risk with a young core like this. Um, I don't think the Pacers are that far away. I think with Bruce Brown and improvement from these young guys, I think the Pacers could make a playoff push next year, like maybe eight seed or something like that. I think that's... Uh, completely possible they also give Hallie the max shout out him getting mm-hmm. his bag but yeah with all these young guys improving you get a good point of attack defender a junkyard dog who can do a little bit of everything and like I said man he's a super valuable rotation piece that you can play at the one at the two at the three in a bunch of combinations of lineups and a bunch uh, of different ways he's just really multifaceted so 
I don't think this is that bad of an overpay. I think you need a veteran, uh, a culture setter, um, a guy who knows how to, you know, has that championship uh, winning mentality. He got it done. Uh, I don't think this is that bad of an overpay. I think Bruce Brown is a very talented player. Like, in a vacuum, do I think he's worth 22.5 mil? Nah, but if you got the cap space, go out and get a really good basketball player. Did they get one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think they legitimately improved. So if we see young, if we see improvement from these young guys, I think the Pacers could make a real playoff push next season. Uh, but it starts with uh, a big leap defensively. Defensive rating of 117.1 last season. I think Bruce Brown and Jarris Walker could help that out a lot. Yeah, the Pacers are in a position where they can overpay for anybody they want. They have tons of cap flexibility, and it's not a long-term deal. So... I'm fine with it. The biggest significance is taking him away from Denver and Denver with their Mm -hmm. cap limitations. Depth being beyond their top six, a question last year. Christian Brown was able to come in and contribute, but they're bringing back Reggie Jackson for that backup point guard. Obviously, we saw what they did in the draft where I think they've added a few legit quality pieces. They're going to have to supplement the value that they're losing with Bruce Brown, but Bruce Brown has value anywhere. A two-way wing, a guy who can handle the ball well, who can cut, who can attack and transition. I think he's a good guy to inject into a situation like Indiana, and I'm fine with it. Again, what do they care about overpaying? Okay, the Bucks bring back both Chris Middleton on a three-year $102 million deal and Brooke Lopez on a two-year $48 million deal, but they lose Joe Ingles and Javon Carter. How do you feel about Milwaukee right now? Yeah, I mean, Ingles and Carter, uh, I don't really care about cool pieces uh yeah you don't want the bucks to get too old uh that's certainly a concern you know if brooke mm-hmm. lopez falls down a cliff uh i'm not really worried about it i think he's i think his game is well suited to age gracefully right he's a big dude who doesn't really get crazy vertical he takes up a lot of space in the lane playing that drop he doesn't have to move a whole lot his main goal on offense is to attack mismatches and shoot threes so I'm not really concerned about him falling off a cliff over the next two years. My real concern is with Chris Middleton, though. This is a guy that they desperately need to be on the floor to win a title, and he has struggled to do that over the past couple of seasons. He played in 33 games last year, uh, shot 31% from deep. He got knee surgery during the playoffs. Last season dealt with a myriad of lower leg issues, of leg issues in general, just could not stay on the floor. That's my one concern, is that you could be paying a guy... Uh, Also, I want to note there's a player option in that third year. Just that you could be paying a guy that is just not healthy when it matters. That's my only concern with Middleton. But again, uh, similar to the Kyrie deal like we talked with the Mavericks, it's not like the Bucs had a whole lot of options here. They had to bring this guy back. He's an all-star. He won a chip. And he's very good when he is on the floor. Again, my one concern is just about him being healthy and being available and being great when the Bucs need him to be. The Bucks absolutely had to bring both these guys back. I think that Middleton brings essential secondary shot creation and shot making and is better in that role in the half court than Drew Holiday, which they need, especially when you see some of Giannis's offensive limitations that remain in certain clutch situations, like the Heat exposed. And Brooke Lopez is still foundational to them churning out consistent high-level defenses, is so good as a floor spacing five. Neither of these contracts are too long-term to where you're crippled by them. Obviously, adding a couple guys in their mid-30s or retaining them, I should say. Like, this entire core is old, as you said. But I think they have to remain all-in because I do think it's a title-caliber 
top four, one of the best in the league, one that I was confident in going into last year's playoffs. And I don't think that all of that goes away because they had a brutal series in which Giannis was injured for a couple games. And really everything that could go wrong went wrong for them. I will say though, when you look at what the Celtics and the Heat are doing, comparatively, Mm -hmm. the Bucs are falling behind. It's the reality in today's NBA. If you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And I wouldn't just dismiss the losses of Carter and Ingles. Like, I get that Carter sucked in the playoffs, but in the regular season, his shooting, his playmaking, his defense, legitimately valuable. And Ingles is a guy who has obviously regressed significantly, but just an elite shooter and a really high IQ playmaker, a guy you can trust for at least 15, 18 minutes a night. And with the Bucks having very limited draft capital, they bring in Andre Jackson, who maybe can get into the rotation, mm-hmm. but that's probably going to be it with no real flexibility here. I, If the Heat get Dame, I don't know that I view Milwaukee as one of the top two rosters out east. I think that they're one of the top three. I think that they will still have a title shot, but they are falling behind a bit. I do still like some of the depth pieces, obviously. Bobby Portis is awesome. Grayson Allen. They're going to have a good top seven. So they had to do this, but we'll see how they figure into this contending picture next year with an aging roster with the injury issues that they did have this year. Fred Van Vliet signed with the Rockets for three years, $130 million, Logan. What's your take on that? Yeah, last episode I said that I didn't like this deal very much. I didn't really understand it. The deal is growing on me, admittedly, a little bit. Just thinking about how desperate Houston is for a steady veteran presence. He's going to play hard. He's going to give you good minutes. Freddie's a good basketball player, really good point of attack defender, uh, and a good shooter, good connecting piece. He's regressed over the past couple of seasons, and I don't like the fact that, I don't know, my initial my initial thought was I don't want you taking the ball out of a young playmaker's hands when he could learn a lot. But again, uh, Houston is starved for veteran presences, and hopefully he can help build a culture there, teach these young guys how to play, how to win. And, uh, and yes, I mean, he's going to be good. Uh, Freddie's not some kind of scrub that you're paying this kind of money. I just... Uh, I think they need a guy like this, and they've got a ton of cap space, so I so I understand it. My one thing was just, you know, why does Freddie want to go somewhere that they're not going to win, they're not going to compete for a championship? But I'll look at this through a different lens. Freddie was an undrafted guy. He already has his championship. He's getting his uh-huh. bag. So I understand it from that way, too. So shout-out Freddie getting his money. Shout-out Houston getting a veteran guy who can teach these young guys how to play ball. Um, it's growing on me. I, I think I'll like this deal uh, as time passes. Yeah, I liked it more when the reporting was that it was going to be a two-year deal at a similar value per year because I think that's exactly the sort of deals that you have to do when you're in Houston situation. you got to fill up cap, a whole lot of it, so you might as well bring in veteran guys who understand how to play, who can establish a culture. That is definitely essential for a team that has been like a directionless AAU squad for a couple years now. Ime Udoka coming in obviously can help with bringing that direction to three years isn't great, but at least it's not four. I mean, I think that that would have made this undoable. 
The question to me is if in a year or two you can get anybody to bite on a deal for FEV if you say, all right, Fred, thanks for coming and having your positive contribution. Now we really want to let a man have the reins as our primary ball handler and higher volume roles for Jabari Smith and Jalen Green. And I don't know. I don't know that people are going to be chomping at the bit to take on Fred Van Vliet on a $45 million a year kind of deal. So I think it's going to be a challenge balancing his role as the best basketball player on your team right now with the guys who you care about a lot more. But I do think he's going to bring some important value here. He is a guy who can play off the ball too, which is important. Like a man will still have his opportunity to handle and maybe can refine his off ball game a bit with his cutting, see if he can become an actual spot up shooting threat. I think overall, I like it. I know a lot of people hate this because of the dollar value. You just have to think. Dollar values really matter to some teams and to other teams, they just don't. You have to fill 90% of the cap somehow and the Rockets chose it with Fred Van Vliet. I'm cool with it. Kyle Kuzma, Logan, returns to the Wizards on a four-year, $102 million deal. You did not want him to go to your Sacramento Kings. He did not. They brought back Harrison Barnes. Kuz goes back to Washington. What's your take on this? You know, I know a lot of people hate this deal because they see it's in triple digits at 102 million. I think this is good value for Kyle Kuzma. This is about yeah. how much I think I'd pay him year to year. Uh, he's a good de- he's a good defender. He's a good rebounder. Uh, he's got some on-ball shot creation, uh, some ball handling. Like Kuzma's not a bum. And honestly, in a situation like Washington, where there's no real direction, right? This is a young team where Kuzma and Jordan Poole are kind of going to have free reigns to just go out and ball. I can see Kyle Kuzma getting tangibly better to the point where he's like a real asset that teams might want to trade for as like a, a final piece. You know, it's like a fourth or fifth guy where they're like, okay, well, let's go out. Let's go get Kuzma. This isn't that bad of a deal. Again, $20 million, you know, about 25 a year. That's not bad for a guy like Kuzma. So, no, I don't hate this deal. I, I like it. Again, uh, I, again, the Wizards aren't going to be playing any winning basketball, but who cares? I, I think eventually, I think a legit contender could trade for Kuz, and I think he could get better during this contract. So I think it's good value. Um, and shout out Kuz for getting his bag, man. I think that this is a great deal for Washington. Again, they have to fill their cap up with big contracts on somebody. And Kuz is a guy who I think will be an actual trade chip in a couple years. It's a good value deal. Dude, Cam Johnson got paid more than Kuz. Mm -hmm. They're the same age. I understand that Cam's a little bit newer to the league, but I think that it's rare to find a guy who is a legitimate plus in terms of his defensive value, his rebounding value at his position, is a plus playmaker, honestly, has grown a bunch there, and has that legitimate scoring ability in terms of getting himself a bucket, is a fine spot-up guy. I think Kuz is a guy who teams will look at down the line and say, could he put us over the top? And so if Washington can then turn him into real assets, that's just a great win. And there's no reason really not to retain him, especially at a good per year value. We were talking about him being up towards 30 million a year, ends up being 25.5 per year. I think this makes a ton of sense for Washington. Let's talk about that Cam Johnson deal real quick. Four years, $108 million to stay in Brooklyn. What's your take on that? Yeah, you know, I'm just concerned about paying a guy as your second or third best player whose value is solely as 
a spot up shooter right now. And I don't mean to be, uh, I, I I don't mean to be negative on Cam Johnson here, right? Because he is an elite shooter. Forty one and a half percent as a catch and shooter. Fifty one forty three splits uh, splits during the playoffs. 19-6-3. I mean, he was great. He's an 86 percentile mm-hmm. spot-up guy, too. And he looked good during the playoffs. Like, he was, I don't know, up there with McCall as a really good offensive player. But I just question, like like you said, man, he's as old as Kuzma. Like, do I really think that Cam Johnson has a ton of room to grow as a playmaker, as a great defensive asset, as a guy with a ball in his hands, as like a shot creator? No, not really. So I think it's a slight overpay. Um, I'd probably be way more comfortable with Cam Johnson in like the 16 to 20 million a year range than 25 plus a year. So I think this is a bit of an overpay. But again, a lot of the same boat as other teams. You traded away Kevin Durant. Cam Johnson was one of these big assets that you got back. You're kind of forced to go out and re-sign him because you just don't want to lose complete value on a big asset that you gave away again you gave away a ton of first round picks for that so it just you know it comes back full circle this is an asset that you have to retain uh yeah i do think it's a bit of an overpay but i think brooklyn's hand was kind of forced i feel like it's a bit of an overpay too but again we have to consider the cap hike around the league and that He's not going to be the second highest paid player on Brooklyn if they're trying to contend. He'll probably be in that three or four range when this deal is up at like 30 million. And that's just the new reality that we're living in. So I agree. It it does feel a bit high just because he is 27 and I don't see a ton of room for growth. He did get better this year, but it is really dependent on being a great shooter and he does have some multi-positional defensive versatility i would say is a a plus on that end not a big plus but it's like you said he's a good player who you don't just want to let walk and this is sort of the asking price in today's market but a bit high again like when kuzma is getting less than him that's not great i think kuzma is a clearly better basketball player i'm okay with this Let's talk about the Phoenix Suns, Logan, who have been having to move on the margins. Turns out they couldn't quite get Kyrie Irving as their fourth guy. Instead, they're adding Yuta Watanabe and Keita Bates-Diop and Drew Eubanks and Chimetsi Metsu. But how do you feel about what they're doing trying to build out these role players alongside their new big three? Their bench is better, I guess. Um. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man, I came into work, dude. So I live in Phoenix, guys, so... Oh man, so many, so many of my coworkers were so pumped up. They're like, "Oh yeah, dude, Drew Eubanks is such a good rim protector." And I'm like, "Yeah, he's mid. <laughs> he's cool." Like I, Eubanks is probably my favorite signing of theirs alongside Watanabe because Watanabe is going to be in a legitimately good floor spacer. Eh, I mean their bench is just so eh, dude. My big concern is they have a lot of these wings. They have a lot of these bigger guys. Uh, I don't really see a whole lot of ball handling down the roster. Now, that's not mm-hmm. a big issue, right, when you have a guy like Bradley Beal, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant. These are going to be your primary ball handlers. But if all of them are on the bench, like, again, you're relying on campaign as, like, your primary backup point guard. And I have my issues with campaign. There's just not a lot of, like, guard versatility down the roster is my one concern. And, yeah, man, the bench is supremely mid. If you say anything else, like you're happy about this or, oh man, this puts the Suns over the top as real contenders, shut up, dude. No, this bench is really 
ass to mid. It's not good. It's not great. Like, who's their bench best player? I mean, who's their best bench player, Carson? Who is it? Honestly, my favorite right now might be Kata Bates Diop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's where I'm at with this. Um, cool. I'm glad they found bodies to fill out this rotation. Yeah. Listen, I understand that at the same time, they did get better and they handcuffed themselves to this roster. So they have to work within this reality of, are we getting guys who are meeting our needs who can at least play rotational minutes respectively? I agree with you. I wish that they had a bench ball handler better than campaign. At the same time, they can stagger the minutes with book and Katie and Beal to where one of those guys is on the floor at all times. And maybe that ends up not being an issue. What they really need is size and length in the front court. And they've committed to that here with all four of these guys. And you do have some specialization. Yuta is an elite spot-up shooter. That's valuable. You get that from a guy who is not Landry Shamit, who's obviously now gone, but you get it from a guy who actually has some size and isn't just going to be ruthlessly attacked defensively and is a better spot-up shooter than Shamit at this point, honestly. Bates Diop. I really do like, man, and had a good year in San Antonio. Is long as hell, 7-3 wingspan, a good finisher, and was over 39% from deep. Has always just been a high IQ, versatile guy ever since he was a prospect, and is going to bring real strength, too. Like, that's the thing. Phoenix got bullied by Denver. They got totally outdone in terms of the little things. These are all the big questions about this team, and... They're at least addressing them on the margins. And yeah, we can laugh at Eubanks, but guess what? He's better than Jock Landale. Like, they're similar, but he is a better rim protector. He does have a little bit more finishing skill. Chimetsi Metu, eh, I don't really care. I mean, but he's long. He's athletic. He's in the front court. He's not really going to play rotational minutes, I don't think, but maybe in the regular season. All around, I think it's solid. I think that... This does not push them into being a top-tier contender because all of my fundamental questions about the defensive ceiling they can reach, the consistency with which they can have guys who do the little things, the just overall complementary nature of this roster, all those questions remain, but they slightly improved in those categories. So I'm not going to sit here and criticize them because, I mean, they've made their bed already with having all of their cap dedicated to four contracts. Couple more things to talk about here, Logan. Desmond Bain signs a max deal, five years, $207 million to stay in Memphis. What are your quick thoughts on that? Yeah, I just hope that this is not like a long-term Desmond Bain is our number two because I just don't think Bain's skill set is that of like a number two uh, long-term where you want to be competitive. That being said, like I don't think I don't think Memphis is, like, really in the spot to, I don't know, like, like actually be in, like, title contention next season. Um, I don't know, man. It, it still feels to me like, yeah, like, they're just a ways away. Uh, Bain is a really good player. He's one of the best pure shooters in all of basketball. Uh, he can handle a little bit. He can defend. He's super strong. I just, I don't know, man. Like, I know Desmond Bain is a really, really good player. I like Bain a lot. I just feel like this is a... A lot of money for a guy who is not a dominant perimeter creator. He's not a you know offensive engine. He's not like an elite defender. He's just kind of a shooter. I just 
that's kind of where I come down on this is it's a lot of money for a guy whose best trade is just as a shooter. He's great at it. He's one of the best in the entire league. I don't want to undersell that aspect of this, but he's not really crazy multifaceted, and he's not a real offensive engine or defensive anchor. So I, I think this is a lot of money for Desmond Bain. I think that's a bit of an oversimplification. Like, he really is one of the best shooting weapons in the league, point blank. And that is the engine to him being an efficient 20-plus point-per-game scorer. But he's also a legitimately good playmaker. He is one of the better transition players in the league. And I think has a really positive all-around impact in terms of winning basketball. He's a guy who can fit anywhere and just excel at his job. So... When I look at like what's holding Memphis back, it's not about Desmond Bain. It's about the consistent offensive assertiveness of Triple J. It's about the consistent efficiency of John Morant. Like with these new cap realities, I think that this was something that had to be done. I think it is clearly worth it. And I'm not a Memphis optimist because I do think that they need a more consistently, legitimately great half-court creator. I think they need better spot-up shooting all around. Obviously, they didn't have their full defensive front court here, but I just don't think Bain is the issue in any of those areas. And I just don't think that he's the kind of guy who you can let walk. Like, you need to retain the asset at the very least. So I think that they really had to do this. The Toronto Raptors, Logan, you mentioned them signing Schroeder for two years, $26 million. They also bring back Jakob Pertl for four years, $80 million. What's your take on, on their approach? Welcome back to Spacing Hell, where we will have Dude, no seriously. shooting. Good um, God. I, that was kind of my thought. I really like Jakob Pertl, and I don't want this to come off as like, I, you know what, I'm not. I love Jakob Pertl. I really like Jakob Pertl. Um, he's a really good defender. He held people 4% below their average efficiency on attempts at the rim. Per cleaning the glass, this is a ridiculous stat. Uh, the Raps played like a 61-win team with Pertl on the floor last season. I, I, I don't really think that's true, but okay, cleaning the glass. They were 10 points per 100 possessions better with Pertl on the floor they had a defensive rating of 109.9 when he played. Uh, that's equivalent to the third best mark in all of basketball. But yeah, man, it's you've got Siakam next to him. You've got Scotty Barnes. Like, yeah, there's just not a ton of shooting. There's just it's weird. It's janky. It's kind of gross. It's not fun to watch. Like, and that's the thing that has consistently let Toronto down. Like. I think this is good value for a guy like Pirtle. I'd just like to see him in a winner with more shooting where he can be maximized and not be such a negative offensively. He's a good finisher around the rack. He's a decent role man. He's got good hands, but alongside more shooting, it would just he wouldn't be as uh, negative to a great team offense as he is in a situation like Toronto. It is going to be ugly next year. It is going to be nasty. It is going to be congested. It's not going to be fun to watch in the half court, and that's probably what's going to let Toronto go down again next year. So I wonder about their direction. I wonder about the long term, um, and I wonder about his fit with Toronto just because, again, I'd like to see him in a different spot playing winning basketball with just more, with just easier offense. It's going to be ugly in the half court again next year. Spacing, 
This is spacing hell. We are the Toronto Raptors. That's what this is. Yeah, man. Schroeder is sort of a comical addition. Like when you consider how much better even a Gabe Vincent would be in terms of fit, just having a reliable pull-up jump shooter and catch and shooter to add an iffy shooter at the one when you have a non-floor spacing five and you have poor shooting from Barnes and Siakam, it really is spacing hell. They are building a dinosaur-style team. Of course, they're also trying to innovate with this whole, hey, what if everybody was long and could handle and like players like Scotty Barnes and Siakam didn't used to exist, but the shooting is just hideous. None of it works. And I just think they have to be retaining an asset in Pirtle and adding some court, some sort of backcourt skill, which there's just not a ton of available in the free agency market in which they desperately need. And they got to blow it up this year. I understand we've been having these conversations about Toronto, but this roster as currently configured is not close. And you have so many individually talented pieces like this Pirtle contract, totally fine value. He's one of the better rim protectors in the league. He's a really skilled paint finisher, going to be highly efficient there. Teams will want him. So you're retaining the asset. That's great. But I think him, I think Siakam, I think OG, all of those guys could and should be on the move. That to me is the only direction that makes sense for Toronto at this point being so far away. Last big deal to talk about, and this one just broke right now during the pod, Logan. LaMelo Ball has signed a five-year, $260 million extension. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, I mean, you got you to gotta do this deal if you're Charlotte. Uh, it's a lot of money, man. And I know a lot of people feel like they don't know if LaMelo Ball is uh, like a legit number one, uh, you know, with his... Uh, rim pressuring issues with his ability mm-hmm. of finishing at the rim. Uh, I don't think it's. I, I think you had to do this, and I still believe in Lamelo. Uh, maybe not as a number one, but I mean, like, it, it is conducive to great offense. Yeah, man. In terms of decision making, playmaking, uh, and he might take a boneheaded shot here or two, but it comes with the territory. I still like LaMelo Ball a lot, and now that they have Brandon Miller too, I think I like this deal even more in terms of them winning now uh, with this fit uh, with him and Brandon Miller from the jump, but two in terms of, all right, well, maybe LaMelo Ball long-term is setting the table for Brandon Miller, who is just a pure bucket getter and you know could maybe be a 20 to 25 point per game score one night. Yeah, I, I think that's an optimistic look at it, but I really do believe in Brandon Miller enough to where I think that's a real possibility. So, yeah, there's a lot of money for LaMelo, but I would have paid it to him too, man. I, I think LaMelo's a really, really, really special playmaker and decision maker. And mm-hmm. I, I would not have any issue with LaMelo Ball being the point guard of, of my team. I, I still like him a lot. I do too. I agree. I think you had to do this. He is one of your two franchise cornerstones. Maybe this ages poorly. There are legit concerns with LaMelo, Mm -hmm. the availability on top of what you mentioned with his rim pressuring and finishing around the rim and his shot selection, his overall efficiency as a scorer, his defense. But you are looking at one of the more dangerous shooting weapons in the league and a truly brilliant playmaker and a guy who has already produced high-level offenses. In his second year in the league, Logan, he led a team to 43 wins, and yeah, they had good supporting pieces on the wings. Mile Bridges was really good. Terry Rozier is a weapon and whatnot. But 
That was a legitimately high-end offense. This year, their offense was six points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor, and the talent around him, even when he was available, was not what it was the year previous. So I still think he has the ceiling of being one of the higher-end scoring, playmaking, overall offensive engines in this league. Yeah, he has things to work out, but he's 21 years old. Like... Not everybody is Anthony Edwards, and Anthony Edwards actually still has stuff to work out too. But I just think in a better situation, more consistently available, LaMelo will remind some people who are having questions about how special he can be. I think if Halliburton gets this, yeah, he's better Mm -hmm. than LaMelo, but I don't think the gap is as big as some people are making it out to be. And I think this was the right thing for Charlotte to do. Are there any other deals that you want to touch on before we get out of here? Uh, I think I'm good. I don't have any coming to the top of my head. Perfect. All right. I think we're good then. The only other one that I had even written down was the Cavs bringing in Struess for four years, $63 million. I understand that they are starved for wings. I think this is a bit of an overpay, maybe a bit of a reaction to Struess being in a really good situation and on a prominent stage going to the finals. He is going to bring you high-level shooting. I don't consider him a top-of-the-line shooting weapon. You're not getting a super high-level two-way impact for him. So, again, this contract, $63 million over four years isn't what it used to be. That's a fine thing to play to pay a solid role player, and they address their needs. So I think that that's a fine move overall. So... More is going to go down, certainly, and we will try to keep up with it. So we will be doing more free agency reaction pods as things continue to happen, but already a bunch to cover from one day. So appreciate you guys, as always. If you enjoyed this one and you're watching on the Volume YouTube page, feel free to subscribe. You can catch all our shows there. You can also listen to us across audio platforms Our Instagram and our TikTok is at NerdSesh. Our Twitter is at Nerd underscore Sesh. You can join our Discord at the link tree across our social media bios to just talk basketball, football with us whenever you want. And you can buy our merch. I'm wearing the NerdSesh hat. We both have the NerdSesh flags behind us. Logan's got the NerdSesh tee on. We've got hoodies up there. Bunch of cool stuff that you can check out and buy at thevolume.com. So with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sash. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts what's up everybody this is stephen a smith host 
host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.